Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. One was more of a revelation of somebody crawling on the ground in Morocco in a, in a very old part of a city in the Medina, just crawling and just trying, hoping, maybe even praying, then nobody would step on her while she crawled across this dirt road. I didn't step out of line in the image, the inspiration, the, the sharp drama, the sadness, all that stuff was compressed into a 30-second experience. And then uh, it wasn't really stepping out of a line when I decided after 20 years or so, I should be able to do something that's more useful to society. I was the inventor in a back room, a highly educated person. I knew how to do mechanical engineering and biomedical engineering. But I said, well, gee, that, that woman I saw in Morocco, she needed a chair with wheels on it. And so I came up with a, a model of a chair with wheels on it, just to, to going to Home Depot and Toys R Us and constructing a sample of a wheelchair that was inexpensive, durable, and functional. But that really wasn't stepping out of line either. Because uh, I was going to make a hundred of them and I was going to prove that they would work because I made a career out of, out of doing clinical trials for companies and to get new products through the FDA. I knew how to make it do a clinical trial. This was not all self-funded. So I figured I'd make a hundred and I'd write a paper. I'd publish this paper and then I'd let someone else do the job of making these wheelchairs. So I was just following what I had learned as an engineer. And, but the stepping out of line, so many things had happened uh, with the first four wheelchairs we gave away in India. What I was hearing, you you got to do this. You got you to dedicate your life to the rest of this plan. You can't just write this paper. You, you've got to make, you've got to follow through. I was 29 when I got out of graduate school. And then I spent over 20 years learning how to practice what I learned as an engineer and suddenly people said, you got to start a nonprofit. And I, I don't think about a nonprofit. I can't ask people for money. I, I'm just, that's not my nature. I'm an introvert. But everyone said, no, you, you got to do this, Don. And that was the step out of line point where I actually did. As long as everybody's behind me. The most important one was, I was thinking my wife. But, but the most important thing was God being behind me. Because these things were happening out of, they were, I call them coincidences. They were miracles. I'm going to sit back and just take direction. I'm going to take your, I'm going to take inspiration from other people. And I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out how to get as many people up off the ground as possible. And that was in 2001. These things that were called, I used to call them coincidences, but uh, the people that came with, with me, because I was, I did this whole first wheelchair, the first four through a church. They were Christian mission people. Don't you understand, Don? You're an engineer. I know you, you didn't really grow up buying this idea of God being in control. And I agree with them. I didn't. I always gave God the credit for creating the universe. But, I, you know, I just figured we were on our own. 
And I misjudged what the word infinite was because I didn't think there was the capacity for God to be in everyone's life. I just rearranged my career. I changed uh, a lot of people I used to know didn't really want to talk to me anymore. But new people came along who really wanted to talk to me, like you two, for instance. It was like starting a new career at the age of 55 and just having faith in where this idea of going. Nobody should have to crawl. How does the World Heritage Initiative assist in the sustainable and economic development for World Heritage? You're not just giving a wheelchair. You're giving so much more. The people that can't walk, along with all the other physical disabilities people have, but about 2% of the world has a disability of not being able to walk. They're uh, isolated. They don't have a voice. They're kept in the back room. They're kept alive by their families. Sometimes they're neighbors. Sometimes it's an institution of some sort, but that's very rare in developing countries. Sometimes it's total strangers who will find them, just uh, abandoned someplace because of the family just can't handle it. And so they're left alone in the corner someplace. And the other thing is they've been told that they're cursed. That's the most common explanation of a disability is it's a curse that something happened in their past life or their family, their parents or whatever. It prevents them from connecting spiritually with whatever religion happens to be in where they're in the country where they're living. If it's Christianity, it could be Judaism, it could be Islam, it could be Buddhism, whatever it is, but you're cursed. You don't belong here. And that's another reason why I don't have to help you, because you're serving your sentence, in a sense, from this curse that you don't know what it is, but that's how we understand this being a curse. There's scripture in the Bible, in Judaism, about this as well, that it's not a curse. It's not. It's not. But but that's what they heard. So when you give somebody a wheelchair, first of all, they've never believed they were going to get a wheelchair. They may have heard that they could 20 or 30 years ago, and they put their name on a list, and they've been waiting ever since. And other people hear from them, and they say, well, it's not even worth putting your name on the list, because this is never going to happen. In the developing country, your most important goal is to just stay alive, get enough food, get enough shelter, stay alive. If your child can't walk, you know, we'll, we'll carry him. If your grandfather can't walk, we'll keep him alive. So when you give this person a chair, uh, first of all, you ask them, well, what do you want to do next now that you have a chair? And there's never been a next in their in their mind. They've never thought of a next because why? I mean, so they're living in the present. Well, okay, you don't have to answer that question. We understand it because we've seen hundreds of thousands of people with that same look in their eyes like what are you going to do next but you do ask them well, hey do you want to go outside and see the sunset i could go see a sunset i heard the colors are beautiful i've never seen one i mean can you imagine that growing up in the back room in a hut in the slum and not ever seeing the sunset or the moon or the breathing fresh air or hearing birds and watching birds fly and because they've not they're kept alive because they're being loved by their family. You Suddenly you break this chain. You, you break them out of jail. You break them out of the fact that they've been immobilized for their whole life. Or maybe it's just an accident that happened five years ago. Either way, 
and you bring them out and, you know, it's a wheelchair. So at least we give them the, uh, their family the ability to move them around. And sometimes they have strong arms and, and coordination because of the disabilities in their legs. And they can ambulate themselves by moving the wheelchair, moving the wheels. It's like a miracle to them. That's why I've written this book called The Miracle Wheels. And we give these wheelchairs away to missionaries, primarily around the world. 75% of them, at least, are missionaries. Work. There's many countries where missionaries aren't allowed. So we give them to humanitarian groups. And we want the person who gets the wheelchair, if it's possible, for the distribution partner who gives these chairs away to say, you're not cursed. First of all, you get wheels. Second of all, you get this idea, this new idea that you're not cursed, which you've been living with both, you know, all your whole life, along with your immobility. And that all happens in about maybe less than an hour. And then you go to the next person and you give them another chair until it's too late in that day. And then you you go back and then you give some more chairs away the next day. That's what our partners do. They sometimes give them away 100 at a time or more, and they have it all coordinated and and you know the governments of these developing countries want to support this they don't have the means to buy the wheelchairs they don't have the, the expertise it takes to train somebody how to assemble a wheelchair kit how to make the adjustments how to make the person comfortable in the chair and how to make it safe for them to use the chair they don't have that knowledge so we figured out how to do all that the wheelchairs are made in china and made in india in mass production, and they're shipped by ocean containers 550 at a time to one of the 93 countries we support. Have you personally ever gone on one of those missions and distributed a wheelchair and seen the joy on somebody's face? I've probably been on 20, 25 missions over the last 20 years, maybe once a year. When COVID hit, we weren't traveling. Other people go, um, major supporters will make sure if they if they are willing to come and see what happens. 75 million people in the world need a wheelchair. That's what the World Health Organization says. People have a hard time believing that. 75 million. Well, you don't see people in the United States needing wheelchairs. Well, of course, or in developed countries, because we have the means to do this, to supply the mobility and also to all the other things that follow on, the operations and physical therapy and all this. But in developing countries, that doesn't happen. 75 million. And then we can actually provide a very functional, very adjustable wheelchair for $96, have it shipped by ocean container to one of these partners of ours, which we have all around the world. And we've already trained them how to do this distribution for $96. So those are the two big secrets we have that, you know, people have a hard time believing them. When you bring people with with us and you, you see there's lines, you got to be careful that there's lines that will form when there's wheelchairs available. Someone down the street is giving wheelchairs away, we've got to go. They know what this would mean to them themselves. I mean, if your family's taking care of somebody you can't move, the toll it takes on the family, it prevents others from getting jobs. Because they have to stay home. They'll carry their son or their daughter to school until it hurts their backs. And then they'll have to say to that son or that daughter, I love you, but I just can't take you to school anymore. So I'm going to stay home with you. And that's maybe good news for the son or the daughter, right? Because she'll have company. But what happens when mom dies or dad dies? And then who's going to be the next person who's going to take care of them? It's very, very sad. So you know, we can get the child to school in a wheelchair. And 
you know, perhaps it's just a functional problem with their legs and they have strong brains. Like somebody who's getting an MBA has a strong brain and they can do things with their head and they can do things with their fingers. They can type, they can communicate. They have a career in front of them, but a lot of times that's not an option. But to, to get them up off the ground, to make them feel human, is such, such a powerful thing. And and when you see that happening, I mean, you're crying and your family's crying and the person in the wheelchair is crying because it's all happening in a very short period of time. It's It's like... A miracle. Did you ever document this in a series of following through what happens when you do give somebody wheelchair and then following them after and see how it impacted their life? We follow these transformation investigations. We did one about 10 years ago and we're doing in the middle of a second one. And some people, because of their disability, are, are not particularly functional with their hands or even in the communication. Uh, but it just takes all the pressure off the family because it's much easier to keep somebody alive if, if you can move them places. Right. Yeah. And go uh, to doctors if they need it. And Yeah, if right. there are doctors. So right. A lot of people we give chairs to have never seen a doctor, uh, ever. Uh, and their other f- members of the family haven't either because that's just the way life is in, in developing countries. They don't have the facility to give you that medical attention that we do. One of the things we noticed in our first transformation investigation is there's a very high percentage of contemplated suicide. And just having a chair uh, dropped the people who contemplated suicide by over half because they had something to live for. All they think about is the drain they have on their family. The constant care and you give somebody a chair and all of a sudden they, you know, the family, they get their, a lot of their life back. They can go back to work. And then there's some people who are, they're advanced with their disability and there's no infrastructure within the country where they're living to, to help a person with a more advanced stage. Cerebral palsy is a very common cause of disability in the developing world because of home childbirth and lack of knowledge of the mother, the pregnant mother, about her lifestyle has to be in such and such a way so she doesn't jeopardize the, the life of her baby. And that sometimes the knowledge is in there, and even if the knowledge is there, is the means are not, not possible. You eat to stay alive. You don't necessarily eat the most nutritional food in the world because you only have mangoes. That's it. Or whatever it is, rice. Our chair is not for advanced needs. It's a basic chair. You know, if you can sit up straight in the chair without a lot of uh, constraining supports, our chair is very good for you. We teach a lot of our, if they have the capacity to learn, our partners can can modify the chair in ways that help people stay, even though they can't sit up straight. But we don't have any motorized, we don't tilt the chair, or, you know, it's, it's just, it's a basic wheelchair. And that's probably good for half the people with the disabilities in the developing world. About half of them are just basically they've lost use of their legs from polio, some kind of an accident. The sad news is that the advanced needs, people don't live. They can't survive because of the medical structure within the country is just not available. Do you walk away feeling like there's got to be more that you could do? How do you... 
come to terms with that. I did struggle with that for many years. I've been into this now for almost 23 years. And and being the creative engineer, I was thinking of wheelchairs that you could propel with your hands, with you know, with like a cycle and other types of advanced wheelchairs. But there's just so many people that just need a basic chair to get them off the ground. When you get more advanced, it gets to be a lot more technically complicated. We have uh, experimented now with providing scholarships for education. If you find somebody who has smart hands, even though they can't walk, uh, but their hands, their fingers are coordinated. You know, they can learn to do things with their hands. And if they have a, a brain, that's a smart brain. I mean, so they can they can put things together. They can understand how to use their fingers. It doesn't cost much to train them how to fix a cell phone or fix an, a, a broken appliance or, or type on the computer. And you can become pretty good at developing a website for $600 of classes that you could take and now now because the you know the internet is is opening up in communications around the world you can you can do these things online i think my belief personally is that although i would like to do more if i take too much time away from doing what i can do i don't help as many people do you find that sometimes the cultural differences between you or the distributors and the people that you're giving it to is just too great or do you feel like people are waiting and begging for this help and they understand what it would mean to them? It's not so hard to convince the, the person who really needs the wheelchair that this is a, a benefit from them. But it might take actually putting them in a chair and moving them or letting them move themselves. I've given chairs away to children who have never moved themselves ever in their whole life voluntarily. And all of a sudden, if they're cerebral palsy, they, you know, they're flailing their arms. They can't control their arms. So suddenly they'll hit the wheel. And the wheel will move the chair and they'll move. And it's like, although there's a lot of lack of control of their hands, every now and then they'll they'll hit that wheel and it'll move the chair. And pretty soon they're going to learn how to hit that wheel and move the chair voluntarily. And our partners just see the difference between someone living on the ground, literally on dirt sometimes. And then when they put them in a chair and people are so happy, our partners say, well, gee, look what we've done. Do we really have to go to the trouble of adjusting all these chairs because we can make great adjustments to the backrest the footrest the, the length of the seat the width and all this other stuff do we need to take the time and do this look how happy they are we explain to them well suppose i had this beautiful pair of shoes from france from paris they were gorgeous and i gave you these pair of shoes and you'd be so happy and you take these shoes home and you put them on and they were too tight and they'd hurt your feet and you'd never wear them well, that's what happens when you give somebody a wheelchair and you don't adjust it. They're not comfortable in it. It hurts. And there's things you can do to help minimize that pain. I mean, wheelchairs are not the most comfortable things in the world to sit in to begin with, right? Reach into the quiet here. The more you work on the comfort of the chair, the more likely the person's going to like it and use it. The limited access that people have towards medical, education, anything that we take for granted here in the United States usually first world country do you feel like it's a social construct it's like a vicious circle in a third world country that if they're not presented with these opportunities they're not going to know that they're there and take them i don't think it's something we can let people do on their own 
there's a lot of government agencies that say, well, we just have to teach these countries how to make wheelchairs and then they'll figure out how to pay for them and then everybody will get a wheelchair. And you know, well, there's 75 million people, first of all, and you can't expect the, their governments to, to even have the financial resources to do this. There's other pending problems. There's wars in some of the countries where we give away, we'll give away wheelchairs in Ukraine because there's people that have been hurt in the war and they're not going to have a lot of money to spend on wheelchairs. But I think you can't just neglect people that have a disability either, which is sort of like what the governments are saying now. We know they're out there, but we've got other big problems. So we're just going to let them let their families pen fend for themselves. I believe the purpose of the world is that the, the countries that have this ability to change the world and make it better have to do it. We can't just keep on putting our funds and in, in, not to use, not our, our blessings not to use. I remember when Perry was little, we didn't know if we should get her a wheelchair. She was in a stroller. We pushed her everywhere. And the doctor said, just give her a wheelchair. I was like, well, what is she going to do with it? They said, wait and see. And as soon as she was in the wheelchair, she just went went off and was on her way. And that gave her the independence that we didn't think she needed or wanted. So I don't think people understand how necessary the freedom is when you give it to somebody, unless you've been through it. We have to have examples. I'm looking at an example right now with Perry. This is sad, but you know, you could have easily not done what you've done for a mom to get her to develop. And I know you've been through a lot. And you're an example of what can happen if people have the ability. But the first step, you got to get wheels. You got to get them up off the ground. We have people that have got jobs. They've got they've got employees now. They have they have businesses because we gave them a wheelchair. And that doesn't happen. Maybe it's one in a hundred. Maybe it's one in a thousand. I don't know. There's a whole lot of other things that have to happen. But they're they have right without you a wheelchair. You don't even have a voice. You don't even have an appearance because you're being hidden someplace. It's like you don't exist. So you don't have a seat at the table. How has your life changed at home in California? I had aspirations that our three daughters would be lawyers and doctors and who knows what, because both of us, my wife and I had, you know, the benefit of, of great educations. When this first idea came up, well, there's a couple of years where I was sort of a, a hermit in my garage just making uh, designs work, you know, and this concept get getting it together. So we took our three daughters to Chile so that they could actually feel what it's like to be poor in a developing country. And we didn't have a lot of wheelchairs, but, but that was the main reason why we went, to visit a slum, to visit people in the slum, to see what they didn't have. And then we brought them back again. And, and the next year, the aspirations of somebody being brought up in Orange County is like, what color is my convertible going to be out of high school? You know, And so we switched over to use Saturns that had 150,000 miles on them. And that's what they got for transportation. My life has become very joyful. You think about the stories that I have of people that are just getting wheelchairs and the joy that they have. It replaces all the other material things that I ever wanted. The thought of seeing someone's life change in front of you and not knowing exactly what's going to happen next, but knowing that you did open a huge door for their future. What brought you to Morocco in 1979? A vacation. We're going to go with some other friends who had been there in the Peace Corps, and they said, you've got to experience Morocco. And then 
they each backed out at the last minute, so we went on our own, and we left soon after because we just couldn't deal with the uh, the, the differences in the culture and the language and the religion and all that. It was just we just were not comfortable. Didn't understand it. it was lack of understanding. Uh, we weren't ready for that. We had to see more of life, be challenged by other things. Did you ever imagine as a young person graduating from college and then going for your PhD and, and doing everything that you did, that this is where you would be at this point in your life? What I wanted to do really is become a billionaire and then I wouldn't have to ask anybody for permission to do anything. I could just do these things on my own. Easier said than done. This country, U.S. and the United States has been blessed in so many ways and people have money. They just need to know what maybe what to do with it. So that's what I set out to do is is come up with a, the least expensive way of solving somebody's immobility problem. They're just cleaning up and putting things away after a distribution of wheelchairs in India and then getting everything back in the truck to move to the next place to give away some more wheelchairs. And there was this man who had received the wheelchair. He's in the mid-50s and, and he's doing three different things. He's throwing his hands up in the air, praising the sky when uh, he's Hindu because this is in India, but praising the gods. He's wiping the tears from his smiling face. They're just streaming out and just get his shirt's getting wet with the tears. He's crying so actively, but he's happy. He's not, he's not sad. And he holds his chest. So it's almost like he's afraid his chest is going to burst open. His heart's going to burst. And then he does this over and over again, over and over again. And, um, he he said that he was 52 years old, and so that's why we call him, call him 52, so we never did get his name. And he said, I've been poor all my life. You know, I started to make things work. I was at a train station 10 years ago, and these robbers came and took everything I had and threw me in front of the train. And the, the train took my legs off above my knees. And I've been just crawling ever since. And then he and he starts wiping the tears from his face again. He said, this is the first day in my life that anybody has done anything nice to me. And it's like, where do you go from here? 150 years ago, in the United States, it was tough to be disabled. There's this book called The Badge. There's a picture of this lady who, and she was lives in Philadelphia. She had to wear a thing around her neck that would prevent her from begging because they didn't want her begging. But that's the only way she could keep alive is to beg. And they would institutionalize children who lived with parents who then they were disabled. If the child was disabled in the, in the cities of Baltimore and, and Philadelphia and New York and Boston, the authorities would come and take the child because they really felt that the child could not be maintained by the parents. It was legal for them to take children and put them in an institution where they would probably not survive. That was our own country. And over the 120 years after all of this, you know, equal rights and, you know, disability rights, and, you know, we passed laws in Congress and it's still nothing happened until people just started to make it, you, you're going to be arrested if you don't honor people with disabilities. This is the way it is in the rest of the world, like it was in the United States 150 years ago. But and we've come a long ways. So it's going to take decades and decades before we can make the world have the same attitudes about disability that we have in the United States. And even in the United States, 
It's not fun to live with a wheelchair in the United States. It's just not. There's not much you can do. Stay home and watch TV. I mean, that's pretty much you got. We have so far to go. But there's Einsteins out there, you know, Nobel Prize winners who have the brains to be able to do something, but they have a wheelchair and they'll never get to it unless you and I, we step forward and do something to recognize them, to, to give them a chance. One that's what we have to do. One step at a time. One step at a time. Thank you.